If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones that you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash Florio and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash Florio. F-L-O-R-I-O. Thanks for your help. Hey, how about that team win? Hey, the journey continues. And we're just getting started. What you did tonight was you earned that second season. That's what you earned, okay? And what I saw tonight was, guys, you know what I saw? It was, I got your back. It was, I got your back. And what this team has showed time and time again is that I will fight my ass off for my teammates. And I appreciate that, fellas. Okay? That's what makes great teams. We still, we still have work to do. We got work to do, but I'm telling you, fellas, you earned it tonight. You earned it. You took care of business, and you earned it. I'm proud of you guys. Team on three. One, two, three. The Browns is the Browns no more. Cleveland Browns nailing down a playoff berth last night with a 37-20 win over the New York Jets. It looked like it was going to be a barn burner at first. It really settled down into the second quarter and specifically into the second half. But offensive explosion from the Browns. Jets couldn't keep up. Browns now at least the five seed. And, Peter, the hidden headline in all this, there's still a path that is not kooky talk. There's a path for the Browns to get the number one overall seed in the AFC. That is remarkable. It's not likely, but it's not zero. There's a chance that the Browns end up being the team who hosts every playoff game they're in this year. And good morning. Welcome back. We missed you last week. Good morning, Mike. Good to be back. And, you know, I think Jerry Dulac of the, uh, you know, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette had a great little tweet which says it all about the Cleveland Browns that this will be the first year since 1989 that the Browns have finished the season with a better record than the Pittsburgh Steelers, which, when you think about it, has to be one of the most insane things I've ever heard. But, you know, think about it. 34 years of Steelers' supremacy over the Browns, and the Browns deserve it. Look, I think now we can erase this silly myth of the uh, of the Jets having this incredible defense and this defense for the ages. 
I mean, they've allowed 31 points and 11 touch a game and 11 touchdowns over the last three weeks. So let's uh, by that defense, by the way. So we can just kill that. That might be the only thing we say about the Jets in these two hours. But I do think what was so good about what the Browns did in this game is that it showed the strength and the depth throughout the entire organization. It's not just the players. It's not just the coaches led by Kevin Stefanski. And it's not just the front office led by Andrew Barry. It is all of them. This team has survived the ridiculous contract given to Deshaun Watson. And, you know, we're here we are at the end of year two. We're 40% of the way through Deshaun Watson, the Deshaun Watson era of the Cleveland Browns. And still nobody has any idea if he's any good still. You know, so despite all that, despite all the draft choices given up for Deshaun Watson, Andrew Barry has found a way with players like Jerome Ford uh, now that he has found a way to stock this roster so it can play winning football. Kevin Stefanski and that coaching staff, Alex Van Pelt, they have found a way to get four quarterbacks ready to start multiple games in a season where now they look like one of the best teams in football. And obviously the players, and I'm especially impressed with this. It it isn't just Miles Garrett, you know, and 10 guys anymore. If you look at all of the contributors on that defense, Denzel Ward, Craig Newsom, these guys are power players in 2023 in the NFL. And, you know, kudos to the organization for really building the kind of team that is young and growing and is going to be good for a long time. The Browns have fought through various forms and fashions of adversity. They lost a couple of road games not all that long ago at Denver, at the Rams. That was Joe Flacco's first start. We're going to talk about him in a minute. But where they are now at 11-5, and I just want to make sure everyone understands the path to the one seed. It starts with the Dolphins beating the Ravens on Sunday, which will be no small feat. The Ravens favored to win the game. The Ravens at home. The Dolphins, yes, finally beat a good team last weekend, but something had to give in the narrative department when the Dolphins and the Cowboys got together. They beat the Ravens. That's a different story altogether. However, if they do beat the Ravens, and then if next weekend the Browns beat the Bengals, the Dolphins lose to the Bills in the AFC East Championship game, which will happen if the Bills beat the Patriots this weekend, and the Ravens lose to the Steelers, the Browns are the one seed in the AFC. Now, that would require the Ravens losing two games at home to both the Dolphins and the Steelers. Unlikely. But the Browns still have a chance to take from the original Browns the number one seed in the AFC. That would be something. I don't, I don't think there's a strong chance, but I wouldn't have thought there was any chance. Until MDS pointed out this morning, oh, by the way, the Browns still have a not crazy shot at being that top seed. And regardless of where they play their games, this team's going to travel in January. They always say defense travels. 
running game travels. They've put a running game together, even though they lost Nick Chubb on the second Monday night of the season in Pittsburgh, lost him for the year. They've put it together with Jerome Ford, with Kareem Hunt, with Pierre Strong. They make it happen. They throw it a lot. They're a little too pass happy. If I had one critique of last night, Peter, once they were comfortably ahead, they were still throwing it and not taking full advantage of the opportunity to just end the game. Run the ball, take the full 40 seconds off the clock, run the ball, reduce the possessions, and get out of dodge. I was afraid for a while they were going to screw around and let the Jets get back into it, but the Jets weren't able to capitalize thanks to the Cleveland defense. That would be my only concern. you got to know when to flip to run-out-the-clock mode, and I think they waited too long to get there last night. I don't, and I'll tell you why. Because to win games that really count, Joe Flacco has got to get comfortable with guys he never heard of before a month ago. So I don't mind it at all. I saw what they were doing. We all saw it, and they kept throwing the ball, and they probably could have ground one out, although the Jets' run defense is good. I guess my point is, Mike, I would rather see him throwing to guys like, uh, you know, Harrison Bryan and, and, and David Bell and, and, and all of the guys deep on the bench of the Cleveland Browns because he is going to need them down the stretch and through January as long as they are still active because Flacco's the guy. Um, I think a couple of things I would just say about Flacco that really, really interest me. Um, and it's been said by a lot of people now. You know, what in the world are team after team? I talked to his agent, Joe Linta, a week or so ago, and I was asking him about it, and he goes, week after week, we would just... He said, I was calling teams. Don't you want to at least bring them in for a workout? And, you know, to me, there's something about the Joe Flacco story. When you hear teams or when you hear GMs saying, hey, look, we're looking under every rock for a player. Joe Flacco is, is you know, with his five kids, you know, doing being the carpool dad and looking over every rock, he is throwing himself at teams and saying, sign me, sign me, sign me. And now, look, he becomes the first player. The Cleveland Browns have been playing football since 1946. And you right now are looking at the man who's the first quarterback in the august history of the Cleveland Browns to throw for more than 300 yards four games in a row. And here's a guy who could have been had for nothing. And I'll tell you one other thing about Flacco. When he was negotiating with the Browns a couple of weeks ago, Mike, and remember for like a, whatever, 24, 48-hour period, he had to be re-signed to the practice squad because they were doing some roster gymnastics and trying to figure out how to get him on the active roster. So there was like a day or two. So it lent to ask Flacco, you know, do you want to, you want me to talk to these other teams, you know, who are still interested now that you've had your little mini ascension? And he said, no. He said, I love it with the Browns. I love Stefanski. I love this offense. Uh, I definitely want to stay here. And, and of course, it would have been ridiculous for him to go elsewhere <clears throat> because even if he went to whatever team it would be, Mike, he'd have to get to know a brand new offense and who knows if he's going to be able to keep the number one job in Cleveland. He knew he was going to the playoffs most likely 
and he had the number one job, and he had a supporting cast that he absolutely knew he could win with. And the final thing he knew, he had a top offensive line. And I still think that that is the number one thing that is so underrated about the NFL right now. If you can protect your quarterback, you've got a chance to win because there's a lot of teams. And let's start with Andy Reid's team. (laughs) There's a lot of teams that right now can't protect their quarterback well enough to go on at least what I think would be a deep playoff run. It had to be unprecedented that a team's starting quarterback was not on the 53-man roster because he had been practice squad, called up, practice squad, called up, reverts to the practice squad, had to be signed to the 53-man roster, and was available to any other team. As you said, why would he go anywhere else after the Browns were the only team that gave him an opportunity? He told me after his first win as the Browns quarterback, he was just about to give up. He thought the phone wasn't going to ring and he was going to move on with his life. At the moment, the phone rang and the Browns gave him that chance. They worked him out on a Friday, signed him to the practice squad on a Monday, and the rest is history, and history keeps getting better and better for Joe Flacco to the point where when you weren't hearing Browns fans banging trash can lids last night, which was nonstop to the point that it was irritating Al Michaels, you were hearing Joe Flacco's name being chanted by the faithful in Cleveland. Here's Flacco after the game talking about the fact that they were chanting Flacco, Flacco, Flacco last night in Cleveland. Yeah, I heard him a little bit, yeah. What did you think? Yeah, it's, it's cool. I mean, just put yourself in that position. I mean, you can't deny it. It, it, it was, it's, it, it's, you know, it, it's, I said it from the very beginning. I mean, the city's been unbelievable. Um, our, my teammates have been unbelievable, like, in, in terms of just embracing me onto this football team. So uh, it's all been great. And it, it makes it that much more special to, you know, be able to come in here and, and play some good football. As you mentioned, Peter, four straight games with 300 or more passing yards. Flacco round and find out. I like that. Twist on one of our favorite sayings. A permissible to say on the show. Twist on one of our favorite sayings. And he's getting it done. First quarterback to throw for 300 or more yards against the Jets defense since Tom Brady in 2021. Extending plays. The play where Quinnen Williams clubbed him in the head. And maybe it wasn't sufficiently forcible to draw a roughing the passer foul. Didn't matter because he still keeps it alive, finds Jerome Ford, who then slices and dices and works his way through the defense and ultimately scores a touchdown. That was the moment because at that point it was 27-14. The Jets had had the, the pick six on that great play by Jermaine Johnson. And you're thinking maybe something's going on here for the Jets. Maybe something could happen. Once this went down, that was it for the Browns against the Jets. This was the magical play of the night, and that's one of the big reasons they were chanting his name at the end of the game. And, well, they should. And the weirdness of it, you know, here he... Look, Joe Flacco for, you know, a decade uh, basically tried to drive a stake through the heart of the Browns every time he played him, played him twice a year. He was on the hated Ravens. It's just one of the weirdest things. It's like, you know, it's like when Johnny Damon, I know you don't, you wouldn't appreciate this as much as I would, but it's like when Johnny Damon went from 
uh, you know, went between Boston and New York in baseball, or I'm sure you can find examples in hockey and basketball that, you know, it's sometimes things just don't seem right. You know, when players go from one arch rival team to another, and especially in this particular situation, you know, it's almost, it's weird to think that Joe Flacco is not only not an insurance policy, but right now, today, at this moment, Joe Flacco holds the key to how far the Browns go in the playoffs. I mean, let's put it, let's say it exactly the way it is. If they're getting ready for a playoff run with Dorian Thompson Robinson or whoever it would be, you know, somebody who hasn't been there before. I mean, let's just remember, Mike, 10 years ago this season, I was uh, walking at maybe 1.30 in the morning to a, uh, to a restaurant in New Orleans that the Joe Flacco family had bought out for the evening for a party for Joe Flacco after he won the Super Bowl. And they didn't know what was going to happen, but they felt pretty good about it. So you walk into this place, and it's all Flacco's family, friends, everybody from South Jersey. And this was the year when Joe Flacco gambled on himself. And the next year, what, five months later, three mo- two months later probably, he became the first $20 million quarterback in NFL history. And now it seems like, man, that was 10 years ago. Flacco beats the 49ers in the Superdome in the Super Bowl. And then, you know, weeks later, he is handed the biggest contract in NFL history. And and here we are again. And so to me, it's just one of these really, really fun stories. Tommy DeVito's story was like a sugar high. This story really seems to be able to pass the test and stand the test of time. And I think Flacco is going to make the Browns fairly dangerous in the playoffs because he's a competent quarterback who probably isn't going to lose the game for you. And here's the difference. And this is why Joe Flacco has been so good. You've got the intersection of lingering physical abilities. And on that touchdown pass to Jerome Ford, he moved like, I don't think he's moved since... 2012, the year they won the Super Bowl and he was the MVP. But he's got the experience. He's seen it all. He walks up to the line of scrimmage. He's got the supercomputer from all those reps, all those plays, all those games. The sweet spot, the quarterbacks who play into their mid-30s will arrive at where they can diagnose pre-snap. They don't need the little red Amazon circles to let them know what they need to be looking for. They know how it's going to unfold. They sense how it's going to open. You see how it processes. That's not instinctive. That's not innate. It becomes instinctive. It becomes innate when you do it over and over and over again. And even though he's still getting to know his teammates, he knows how to read defenses. He knows from the moment he comes out of the huddle, surveys what's there, snaps the ball, all that stuff that's going on for a quarterback that he has to process. He's seen it so many times, and he can still deliver the football. He can still buy enough time and buy even more time than we thought he could. That's why, unlike the other backup quarterbacks who have a shelf life because they get figured out, the defenses get enough film. It's like, okay, now we know what this guy is doing, and then, boom, the chariot goes back into a pumpkin, whether it's Tommy DeVito, Josh Dobbs, whoever. With Joe Flacco, he's only going to get better. 
That was something Robert Sala, the Jets coach, said last night. He's getting better each and every week. Yeah, he's getting more comfortable in the offense, and he's sufficiently experienced at reading defenses, understanding who's going to be open, where the weaknesses are, how he can keep a play alive. And they're getting with Flacco what they thought they were going to get with Deshaun Watson. And you mentioned the Watson contract. They still got three years, fully guaranteed. They have to deal with that. I don't know the Flacco sticks around for three more years, but it really is amazing to see where they are and how far they go. And Peter, I've got two Christmas wishes that have yet to come to fruition because it's not yet ripe, but I want Matthew Stafford going back to Detroit in the playoffs. And I want Joe Flacco going back to Baltimore at some point in the playoffs. Hey, you know, Mike, I, I've thought of that and I've thought of the 98th, uh, Buffalo, Kansas city game in the last three or four years they would all be really sweet playoff games, but you're absolutely right. Rams at Detroit, uh, Browns at Cleveland. I, I'm sorry, Browns at Baltimore. Both of them would be absolute killers. I mean, the NFL right now is looking at a wild card weekend that could be absolutely extraordinary because think about normally when you think about you sort of ho-hum your way through the, you know, the afternoon game on Saturday. But then Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday night, there could be three really fantastic, potentially, matchups. Ones that the NFL doesn't have to invent uh, a plot line for, that they're just sitting there. But it would be fantastic. And look, I have no idea what's going to happen with we don't know what's going to happen with the with the standings the rest of the way. But I think there are enough good stories heading into the playoffs. I think it would be great if the Rams made it, regardless of who they played, because, and I know we're going to talk about this later in the show, I've really started to think that, look, it's not impossible, not impossible that Matthew Stafford could win the MVP. And, and I doubt it's going to happen, but... I think that there are a lot of things for all of these awards that are very, very much still in play. But I do think the the potential matchups for Wild Card Weekend are going to be fantastic. Coach of the Year has been wide open all season long. You can make a strong case for seven different guys. I identified 15 candidates going into Week 16. That's whittled down based upon some of the outcomes of the week 16 games. But now here's Kevin Stefanski. As you mentioned, four different quarterbacks starting multiple games. First team to do that and make the playoffs. He's now the favorite, courtesy of DraftKings Sportsbook at minus 275. He's jumped Dan Campbell, who was wire-to-wire favorite. Stefanski now the overwhelming favorite to win it. Now that they're in the playoffs and it can only get better down the stretch, they can still win the division. They can still be the one seed, as we've said. But even making the playoffs, just making playoffs. And, Peter, my approach to Coach of the Year is very simple. How far a team exceeds the generally accepted preseason expectations. And I don't know what we expected for the Browns. They were the biggest wild card in the NFL entering the season. And then you start sprinkling in adversity after adversity after adversity. Nick Chubb, Deshaun Watson rotating quarterbacks. Watson's back, then he's gone, then comes Flacco, and all the things they've done. And you have to throw in credit to Kevin Stefanski for making Jim Schwartz's defensive coordinator. There were a lot of hot names 
last year at defensive coordinator. Jim Schwartz wasn't one of them. It was Vic Fangio. It was Brian Flores. It was E.J. Evero. There was no buzz about Jim Schwartz becoming a defensive coordinator and crafting a dominant defense. It's worked out perfectly for the Browns, and here they are, 11-5. and Stefanski won it in 2020, and he very well might win it again. Based upon the current odds, he's the favorite to do so. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because... If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. It almost seems like Dan Campbell that this is a this would be an award for like coach of the year and a half. Because in the last year and a half, as of this morning, the Browns are 19 and, or the, I'm sorry, the Lions are 19 and six. And obviously they're 11 and four, but the Browns have won 11 games with four different quarterbacks. So, and again, I think Dan Campbell is a fantastic candidate. And if he wins, hats off to him. Uh, Right now, number one on my list would be Stefanski. And it isn't record only. It is what he has done with four different quarterbacks and keeping his his team in there through all. I mean, they have had a slew of injuries. Everybody does. They've probably had as many significant injuries as any team in the league. And here's this team that still has enough. And you mentioned it earlier. Uh, he has the the wherewithal and the, I don't even want to say, it's not bravery. It's just he hired a former head coach who clearly still has the, the skills in what he does in Jim Schwartz to be considered, whether it'll ever happen again, I don't know, to be considered as a head coach again. And he doesn't care. Stefanski doesn't care. He just wants to bring in the best people. And so to me, he'd be number one. Campbell and D'Amico Ryans both deserve an awful lot of credit, in my opinion. I mean, D'Amico Ryans, if you don't get the quarterback hurt, you know who knows where you know Houston could have been right now, but probably there's a good chance they'd be on the way to the playoffs. But and look, they could still sneak in, but those three guys would be atop my ballot. Yeah, it's going to be tough to make the argument against D'Amico Ryans. They were the one team in the AFC going into the season that many said have no chance at making the playoffs. They win that division. That really does throw a wrench into this presumption it's going to be Stefanski. But, but when you look at the closing kick, when you look at the Flacco angle, the fact that the Browns were willing to go where no one else would go, 
and get the most out of him. That adds a little something to this for Stefanski and might push him over the top when it's time to cast the ballot after week 18. And again, that all hinges on the Texans winning or the Colts winning the division. If the Jaguars win the AFC South, then I think it's a no-brainer that it's Stefanski. The defense could produce Defensive Player of the Year in Miles Garrett. And frankly, if they would end up with a number one seed, you have to at least think about Miles Garrett as MVP. There's been two prior defensive MVPs, Alan Page in 71, Lawrence Taylor in 86. But if the Browns get the one seed, he's the best player on the team. He's the guy that you would at least put into, at least I would, put into the conversation, into the mix, put him on the ballot. It goes five deep now at MVP. He gets one of those five spots for me if the Browns would end up winning the division or getting the one seed in the AFC. He may anyway. I don't know. To me, I think I saw a headline on The Athletic this morning that, you know, something to the effect of why Lamar Jackson should be MVP. I mean, you can't decide who the MVP is after 15 games. You got to play the schedule out. That's why I said the same thing as everybody who's got to vote on Monday night. Well, Lamar Jackson probably has just vaulted his way into favorite status, but there's a lot of, there's a lot that is different between favorite status and casting your vote. And a lot can happen between now and, um, 10 days from now, 11 days from now, when you really sit down and start to think, who's the MVP for 17 games, not for 15. So to me, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's fine to say somebody's the leader in the clubhouse, but the golf tournament's not over and the field is still, some of the field is still out on the, on the 16th hole right now. So let's just let it play out. And, hey, look, the easiest flip would be Dolphins beat the Ravens, and all of a sudden we're trying to decide between Tua Tonga-Vailoa and Tyree Kill if the Dolphins would end up the one seed in the AFC. Let's fast forward to the playoffs. Defense wins championships, although I don't know how much that applies in an NFL that is so driven by offense, but we've seen every few years a great defense can put the clamps on a great quarterback in the Super Bowl. Are the Browns, of all the defenses – of all the teams that are qualified or will qualify, are the Browns the scariest one to face if you're an opposing offense? I would say after Monday night, I would say the Ravens would be the scariest team for me. Now, they don't have the player on the edge that the Browns have, but they have some really good and very, very physical depth. I think both these defenses are top five in the NFL and maybe top two. But as of right now, I mean, recency bias is that the, the Baltimore Ravens shut down the San Francisco 49ers and really semi-embarrassed them in, San, in Santa Clara. And we saw the, uh, the, we saw the Cleveland Browns basically play the Toledo Mud Hens last night. So I don't really know what we found out about the Browns that we didn't already know. Miles Garrett had one sack last night. After the game, he opened up about a personal tragedy. His uncle died earlier this week, and he actually considered not playing in the game. If his mother had asked him not to play in the game, he would have skipped the game. Let's hear a little bit from Miles Garrett as he 
volunteered this information about a personal issue that did impact his his ability to enjoy what was a celebration for everyone in Cleveland last night. Lost a loved one. Uh, yeah. Uh, lost him on uh, Christmas night. I heard on the next day, and uh, I just have really known how to how to deal with it. I just talked to my my siblings, my mother, making sure that she was okay. It was her her brother, and uh, I was just dealing with how it's been affecting me physically and emotionally. Um, and I'm not one to really wear it on my face too often, but you know it's it's you know it's taking its toll in different ways, and just you know keeping my head you know, to the sky and trying to you know stay focused. I know that's what he wanted me to do, and that's what my mother wanted me to do. Maturing is knowing you know uh, not only that you need help, is but when when to ask for it. And uh, I'm not I'm not prideful enough to say I don't need help or I don't need you no. Know, uh, someone to lean on at times, and uh, I've and our family that I've leaned on, but my, you know, some people around here have you know have also you know reached out a helping hand, uh, you know someone to you know be a be a rock or you know just a, a listening ear, because I'm not one to you know spill out emotionally. I'll now keep it inside, just like my my dad will. You know, we're we wants to just you know kind of just soak it all in and not not let everything show and. Uh, it's, it's got to got to come out in some form or fashion, and I got friends to to, to help me, like uh, kind of you know expel those things. He later said that getting it off his chest is kind of the best medicine for him. Just talking about it to reporters after the game, bearing his soul, and acknowledging that there is an awareness to when you might need help and when to ask for help. And I think it's a powerful message because I think a lot of people will internalize. Issues like that, try to tough through it, come off as strong, able to yeah. deal with anything. I don't need help. And I, I think it's great, and I'm glad we played that. I just think it's a great message for anyone out there who's struggling. There are people who are willing to help because we're all going to be there at some point. I think that, you know, in an age where there are many reasons to look at humanity and be disappointed, I think when it comes down to that raw basic need, when someone has a requirement for help, more often than not, people are willing to help because we all know it's going to be us one of these days that need the help. Yeah, and I think there's been more of a willingness now, Mike, to to talk about things like that. I think it's good, and I think the more you talk about it, the more you send the message, particularly to young people, uh, because both through the pandemic and through just the stresses of modern life and bullying and things like that. I think that it's good for people to see that even the icons have trouble mentally sometimes. Um, you know, totally different story, but Kirk Herbstreet now is dealing with uh, issues with his son, who was a football player at Ohio State, who may eventually need a heart transplant because of heart disease. And so he admitted, hey, I go on the road a lot. I need some help. And that's really the basis for bringing his dog with him on the road is his emotional support. And, you know, we can all laugh at that. Oh, he's a dog, all that. But, you know, it helps Kirk Street, and good for him for admitting it, for telling his family, look, I need to have a touch of home for the three or four days a week, every week from Labor Day till middle of January 
that I don't see you guys. So I think it's good that he does it. I think it was great last night what Miles Garrett did. Yeah, absolutely. And we wish Miles Garrett and his family the best at this horrible time. And of all the time, there's never a good time for something like this. But around the holidays, it it makes it even harder, I think, to process that when everyone else is happy and everyone else is moving on in the world. That's one of the things that's strange. When when death touches your family in some way and you notice the rest of the world is just going on like nothing happened, that's just a weird reality of dealing with intense personal grief yeah. like that. So we wish him the best as he processes it. And, and we appreciate the fact that he was so candid about it because I think it will help others. Whether he intended to or not, it will help others, and, and we applaud him for that. David Joku got to applaud him. I mean, he was on pace to shatter the record that Amari Cooper just set on Sunday for franchise receiving yards uh-huh. with 265 in a game. He had 113 before people even got settled into their seats, Peter. Hey, you know, David Njoku is speaking of postseason awards. You know, he's elbowing his way into the the discussion of who should be the tight end on the all-pro team and on the second team all-pro. And so... I think he is doing a good job. He, this is a guy, remember, Mike, who said whatever it was two or three years ago he wanted out of Cleveland. And I bet he doesn't want out of Cleveland now. <laughs> and I think the one thing that he gives the Browns and gives Joe Flacco, he gives them that kind of security blanket that a quarterback needs so desperately, especially a quarterback just getting to know his new team and all his new receivers. You 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 look at the book on Njoku, he's an excellent route runner, and I think he is giving Flacco something that, especially with Amari Cooper out of the game, he's given him a legitimate number one target uh, for Flacco, who desperately needs familiarity, especially familiarity in the short and intermediate parts of the field. I remember when they acquired Njoku in the first round, and for the first few years of his career, the production wasn't there. Like you said, he wasn't happy. And then they saw something in him. They paid him a contract that you would look at and say, compared to the production, it really doesn't mesh. But he has shown he can become one of the better tight ends in the NFL, and he's flourishing now with Joe Flacco, a quarterback. And last night, no Amari Cooper. Elijah Moore leaves with a concussion. Njoku, well, he did all his damage by the time Moore exited the game. I mean, it was it, – it, it, the hay was in the barn for David Njoku by that point. He's going to be a potent weapon as we get to the postseason for the Cleveland Browns. They're going to be a fun team to watch. All due respect to the other teams, they're going to be playing the Browns, and they want their team to beat the Browns. Looking at it objectively, the Browns make the playoffs more interesting – Peter, one of the things Chris and I have been saying for the past several months, we want teams in the playoffs that have a chance to win in the playoffs. Not just, hey, we punched our ticket and here we are, and now we'll lose 42 to 10. We want teams that can make it happen, like the Rams, like the Browns. Teams that are going to get there and that are going to give the elite teams a run for their money. And the Browns, hell, they're one of the elite teams. They're no longer a team that maybe will give a team a run for its money. They're now a team that has to wonder who's going to give us a run for our money. And look, Mike, I think lately 
and you see the stats lately home field advantage i'd say the last three four five years is not the be all end all for a team other than say the dallas cowboys where the record on the road is so markedly different from the record at home and i'm still not sure that they're anything other than a weird outlier in that regard i just don't think playing on the road is that significant anymore and I go back to I remember a story I wrote in my very early days of Bill Wall uh, on Bill Walsh and the San Francisco 49ers. And I remember Walsh saying about why they were so good on the road, why uh, every year you would see the 49ers with cuz they were a great team obviously, but one of the if not the best road record in the league almost every year. And he told me that I used to preach to my guys that what better situation is it for a team than to go somewhere. The 49ers always traveled when they went east anyway an extra day. So they would go on Friday, get to the hotel at 11 o'clock at night. And on Saturday morning, he would make sure that they would take a little ride around the city just to see the city on the way to practice, walk through the next day. And he would basically say to him, he said, how great will it be if, you know, 45 people tomorrow go out on the field and crush a team, a city, a region, and silence them and basically become that feared team that you are when you go into a good team on the road and I'll never forget a game I covered in 1989 right after he left when the 49ers went into Philadelphia and Joe Montana and the and the 49ers were getting killed in the first half. And at halftime, they figured out a few things and, and they went out and Montana threw four or five touchdowns and they ended up winning the game. And after the game, Eddie DeBartolo is standing on the sidelines jumped into the arms of Ronnie Lott and said, Ronnie, I love you. This is the greatest win, uh, you know, that I recall, including Super Bowls. And Eddie might have been emboldened a little bit. You know, he, he liked to exaggerate. But things like that, coaches who can take teams and make them have this attitude of, we actually love going on the road because it allows us to basically say and mean that it's us against the world. And wherever the Browns go, I'm sure there will be that sentiment. However, it's stated by Kevin Stefanski, that sentiment will be common in that locker room. Whether home or away, the New York Jets were not good this year. And there's a belief that Aaron Rodgers comes back next year, they run it back, and it'll be fine. I think that whatever the expectations were entering the season, and they were pretty high, fueled by hard knocks, and this idea that there's euphoria, the Jets fans are always looking for something that is going to give them the salvation. They've been waiting all these years for another Super Bowl opportunity. I think everybody's got to dial it back next year because this team needs some work to get to where it was supposed to be this year. And I don't think, Peter, it's just going to be enough to sprinkle Aaron Rodgers in and everything's going to be fine. Offensive line needs work. Defense, we talked about that earlier. It's not championship (coughs) caliber. They've got some stuff to do here. And 
and and I think it's good for them to not carry the weight of expectations into 2024 the way they did this year. Let's see what they do this offseason. Let's see who they add. Let's see what they can do via the draft to try to improve the weak spots that will keep them from being what we thought they might be this year. Yeah, you know, I found myself thinking about that last night, Mike. They kept showing Aaron Rodgers on the sidelines, and of course they are. Uh, I would, too, if I was the director and the producer of a telecast where, you know, on the fourth or fifth play of the season, he's lost for the year. But the one thing I kept thinking about last night is that the Jets and Joe Douglas, for all of the things they've done right in the draft and all of the things they've done wrong in the draft, the one that really sticks out right now as a guy who's really going to hurt this team next year unless they decide to move him is Makai Becton. So Makai Becton, the uh, 11th pick in the draft, I think in what, 2020, Uh, has just been a debacle, and there's no other way to look at it. He was drafted to be the long-term left tackle, and last night, look, there's no shame in giving up a sack to to Miles Garrett. Uh, Some of the best tackles in the league either would or have done the exact same thing. But, Mike, here's a guy right now who, so far this season, leads the NFL in sacks allowed. It's either 11 or 12, I forget. And he leads the NFL also in number of penalties for tackles. And so at some point, I think the Jets are going to have to say, listen, we're either going to have to maybe salvage Mekhi Becton by moving him into guard, and our biggest investment is going to have to be either in the first round of the draft or in free agency. We're not going to have a lot of money, but in free agency, we need to go out and get a left tackle. Now, obviously, that's a difficult task because it's one of the hardest positions in sports, not just the NFL, to find. You can't just go find Trent Williams on the street because he's never there. So I think my only thought watching that last night and listening to what you just said is, they got to do something about left tackle, particularly with a quarterback coming off an Achilles injury. Yeah, look, I agree with you completely, and they have more work that they need to do. And one of the things they need to do is not let Aaron Rodgers be the de facto assistant general manager next year because the friends and former teammates of Aaron Rodgers haven't exactly made the team better this year. Although next year, Devontae Adams, who knows if they make a run at him. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return... Two of the big games, arguably the biggest games for Week 17. Dolphins at the Ravens and Lions at the Cowboys. We'll get you ready for those when PFT Live returns. Easy for him to say returns right after this. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support, anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 